0: From the McCourtney Institute at Penn State University, I'm Michael Berkman. And I'm Chris Beam, and this is Democracy Works. And Michael, today we're going to be talking to uh, Mark Kissling, who's an assistant professor in education here at Dear Old State. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be talking about um, civic education. And it seems like, uh, it seems to us that this was, a, a, you know, an an essential time to talk about this because it's an essential time for people who do this kind of work.
1: Well, sure, but also because uh, you know the what happened down at Parkland, mm-hmm. Florida, and then the reactions of the students afterwards. And we're coming off of a summer of their tour around the country trying to register, uh, trying to register young voters. There, there's been quite a bit of focus in the country
0: on on young people and their political involvement sure but i also think that uh we're in a time where everybody and um students particularly are um you know you can't escape the news you have these strong and absolutely contrary claims being thrown back and forth you have terms like fake news you have people saying truth is isn't truth i mean um you know there are Myriad of examples of um, you know ma- ha- ha- it's just a particularly difficult climate right now. Oh, yeah, it must be
1: very challenging for. Well, kids, right? right. We're talking about we're talking about high school and right. middle school for for kids to be able to figure out how to access information. I mean, they're they're obviously heavily reliant on social media and internet for their for their news. And you know, in in many ways, that's good because there's so much there's so much out there. On the other hand, we know from this election and from everything we've been hearing about fake news mm-hmm. and about how. Uh, nefarious uh Facebook and some of these other sources can be right of course, and just, none of them
0: are on Facebook anymore, but right whatever yeah. and whatever it is that they're on that we will probably catch up with in ten years yeah, right? we'll, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think it's it's important for us to um to consider how this climate is effectively teaching young people what it means to be. A Democrat, small D. Right. What it means to be political.
1: Right. We're talking about civic education, right. not just social studies. Right. Here. Exactly. We're talking about how do you become a how do you become a good citizen in a democracy. What does and, it mean
0: to be a, but uh, an active, responsible, democratic citizen?
1: Yeah, and I mean one thing we've talked about throughout throughout this podcast is the idea that democracy takes work, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that uh, it. Obviously, it takes people's participation, but they need to have some idea of what they're doing, at least to be effective right
0: they, I mean, it, so the way I uh, saw it referenced was that civic education includes knowledge, but it also ought to include skills and dispositions
1: and I think it's something that we just don't hear talked about that much with education these days, where the focus really seems to be on stem
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know the focus on the focus on science and math and uh you know, suddenly, and I, I think maybe this is something about what happened in Florida. You know, suddenly we see this sort of explosion of political activity from kids who suddenly we realize have been raised in an entirely different environment than us. And that is, you know, this environment of lockdowns and active shooter drills and, you know, that they actually are, are, are thinking about these things and that, they're, that they, are, they are political to them.
0: So I think this is all good, uh, you know, um, setting, good uh, good table setting for um, for Jenna and Mark, because, uh, you know, th- th- we're going to get an opportunity to hear from somebody who, who teaches the next generation of, of civics teachers.
1: Okay, very good. Let's all bring right. Jenna in. Okay, great.
2: This is Jenna Spinelli from the McCourty Institute here today with Mark Kissling. Mark, thank you for joining us today.
3: Thanks. It's great to be here.
2: Let's start off um, with that term civics education. Can you talk a little bit about um, what, what people most commonly associate it with and then um, maybe some of how you view it in your work as an education professor?
3: Sure. So uh, social studies as a subject area in schools often has civic education or civics education um, built into it in, in various ways. Uh, social studies, uh, historically, was the teaching of history. Um, in the 1910s or so, the um, social studies emerges as more of a fusion of the social sciences. And and with that comes more attention to the teaching of civics. Um, there, There's a number of ways, I think, to, to think about civic education. I tend to think about it um, structurally, uh, in, in terms of teaching about civic society, teaching what it what it means to be a participatory citizen. Um, there's um, significant literature, um, particularly in the field of social studies education, uh, about what it means to do this, how to do that. Um, it, the, the National Council for the Social Studies is the, you know, the, the big group of uh, teachers, researchers, teacher educators. It, it puts out its mission for social studies education as the creating of effective citizens. So civic education is central there, uh, thinking about learning content knowledge, how, how do the you know, different branches of the government work, um, but, but also then participating in, in the structures of, of our society. I, I'll, maybe I'll speak a little bit more about citizenship education as I think about it. It um, has more of a, a grounding in, in the lives of students and, and their communities. It's, it's working in relation to the communities that they're a part of mm-hmm. at a bunch of different scales, not just the national scale.
2: So what does this idea of citizenship education actually look like in, in the classroom? You know, how do teachers convey that in their their lessons?
3: So I think it varies widely. Uh, for me, it looks like uh, taking into consideration where where students and teachers are and what their lives are like, where, where they've been, where they're going, um, what the circumstances are of the places that they inhabit, um, and, and then thinking about, well, what does participation in these various communities look like? So those are human communities, those are earthen communities, all sorts of things. Um, so that, that's pulling in history, then. That's thinking about economics and the management of resources. It's all these various factors. Um, but importantly, it's place-based, in, in, in my thinking. This looks so many different ways across schools, uh, across the country, across the world. Um, but it's attending to students and, and the lives that, that they're leading.
2: And and you, I know, were a social studies teacher yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, was, how did you approach this in in your your own education?
3: Sure. So, I I taught various subjects, but one of the courses I taught was a street law course. I think I think we called it American Law. Um, but I taught in Framingham, Massachusetts, which at that time was the largest town in in America. It had town government, and so much of our American Law course was framed around local issues related to town government. Um, one of the years, my my students were interviewed on the news after voting for for local races. It, it was bringing in the the circumstance. Well, oh, some some of the um, precincts in, in the town had had nobody running. Right, so why why is that the case? Why why do you have four or five people running in another precinct? Um, taking up those local issues in the context of my students' lives um, was central to to my thinking. Um, I now I think much more concretely and directly about place I think it more happened naturally when, when I was teaching social studies um, but nonetheless it, it's looking at well where are we what's going on what what do we want and how should we act to, right. to get there
2: and that that notion of, of where we are is in some ways I feel a much more fraught question today in terms of you know our polarized political climate and you know the the era of of alternative facts and truth isn't truth and everything else that kind of exists in our, our media landscape. Um, are these things that you're now talking about or your colleagues are, are talking about as you prepare to, to educate future teachers who are going to be heading out into their own classrooms?
3: Yes, yes, absolutely. The, the question of where and, and thinking about how, that, how we answer where multiple ways at the same time and then certainly over multiple times. Um, and, and how you and I sitting in this room together are, are going to address this differently based on our various perspectives. Um, yes, that, that's, that's very um, prominent. There, there's an educational movement, place-based education that's framed around that and some of that in social studies, but, but also coming out of other areas of schooling. Um, but yes, attending to the issues at all the various scales. So thinking locally, um, but certainly thinking nationally, globally. Um, I think weaving those into some fusion of thinking about what's it mean to live in community.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and do you find that your, your own students are, are kind of receptive to, to that notion of, of, of place? Or do you have to kind of, is, is there a disconnect between you know, when they begin on, on this path and where they kind of end up?
3: They're, they're immediately receptive to it, but their schooling experiences don't lend themselves to being receptive. They, we're, we're inherently placed people. Um, our food comes from places. We our feet are on the ground in particular places, right? Like, like, that's commonplace. Um, but schooling doesn't operate that way. Um, in the social studies curriculum, oftentimes the scale of the nation state is central, uh, and there's a lot of placelessness. In you know, if I'm in Arizona and I'm learning about the American Revolution, um, you know, there there are some things that m- maybe most people in the country should know, but there's there's also a really huge gap. Uh, between lived experience and then, you know, the knowledge of, of the curriculum. Um, so I, I, that's one of my missions is to, to try and ground education and particularly social studies education in the issues of place in the lives of students.
2: And is is there a, a balance to be drawn between making sure students have that kind of local awareness what without losing the kind of larger national or, or, or global global picture about history and politics and all of those things?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, to, to focus to focus on only local issues would, would be a, a serious um, problem if, if you're not thinking about the broader contexts. Um, Typically, it's the other way around. We're we're th- we're talking globally, or we're talking nationally, and and then not taking up I- issues that you know that are related that are happening right right around us. Um, certainly, there's a, a balance there. There's a fluidity also, and I think there's a need to to traverse across those scales. Mm-hmm. Um, but to bring, up, bring all that up in the mess, um, I think, is, a, is an important idea. Okay, if we're going to talk about patriotism, what, what does that mean playing out in the form of protests happening across the country or in other, other countries, but then also locally here during the national anthem at the State College Spikes game? Um, you know, bringing all of that into this mix and then thinking conceptually a, across the, the different places.
2: The other thing I've been thinking about a little bit lately is the the comparison between teachers and journalists. We talked on hmm. this on the, the show a couple of weeks ago with with Matt Jordan, a professor in the um, College of Communications here who's, who's a, a media studies scholar. And we talked a lot about journalists as, sort of being cast as this neutral observer who isn't supposed to have their own opinions or supposed to be unbiased. I'm wondering if if teachers kind of are in that same spot where... Maybe parents or or other groups and within the school look to them to you know just the facts, keep their own opinions out of it, and you know more more that sort of mode. What what are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I think uh, it's it's very common for teachers to find themselves in the spot where they they have to be kind of the the neutral purveyor of the facts, or at least there's an expectation of that. They've been schooled that way. Um, and then they they come into this this setting where they're teaching um, with that in mind, and then oftentimes an expectation from students and their families. Um, I'm thinking of uh, last year when I when I started teaching uh, with my pre-service social studies teachers. This was a, maybe a week after, maybe two weeks after um, the the tragic events in Charlottesville, and I said to I opened up my course with with. What would you be doing today if you were teaching um, in Charlottesville or in Richmond, you know, so, somewhere nearby, um, uh, the, the day after the, this, the events of this weekend? And most of my students said, I don't think I would say anything about it. Okay? And there's a, there's a real a fear there, one lack of knowledge about what's going on or things are happening fast. Um, but there's a, there's a political charge. There's a controversy there that they – teachers, I think, often feel worried about taking up. Well, what, what does this mean if I have a student that comes out with a very strong belief on one side or, or you know, or, or what happens if I have a student or, or a, a parent or a principal? There's real concern there, uh, particularly for new teachers or, or student teachers. But if, if we think about the purpose of schooling to be li- learning to live in community um, – we have to take up these, these difficult issues. We have to have facts and information that we can agree upon, um, but we have to have conversations a- across these divides, and that is not easy. Um, yeah, we, so what's, you know? your,
2: what's your advice to, to those students who say, yeah, I would never take this up or I'm scared to do this in my, my classroom? What do you tell them?
3: Well, my comment is you are taking it up, but you're taking it up in a way by ignoring it or pushing it off to the side. Um, so the, the the idea of you can't be neutral on a moving train. Uh, Howard Zinn's kind uh-huh, of uh, autobiography um, that any kind of statement, even a lack of a statement, is a is a message there. Um, so I, the the idea that there's a, a null curriculum to schooling that in the absence of something you're you're learning about a topic. So in the absence of talking about Charlottesville, you're learning not to talk about it you're learning that this can't be something we take up. Um, that's, that's troubling, Like right? we, we, we have to think about what's in the null curriculum and then try and raise the things that are there that, that are important to us.
2: And, and also maybe find a way to have, a, have the, the classroom as a place for, for dialogue, right? It's Absolutely. maybe the first place that, that kids have a chance to really have dialogues in this type of manner.
3: So here's where I get into trouble with a number of my peers, uh, thinking about social studies foremost as inquiry. We might call it civic inquiry or participatory inquiry. We're inquiring into what it means to live together. And so that immediately means we have to listen to each other. We have to ask questions of each other. We have to have that that kind of dialogue. But but that's hard. That's not typically the framing for a curriculum. It's we're going to start and... And, you know, when, when Columbus came across the ocean and we're going to work through the facts, um, well, what are the facts, right? And, and we need to be thinking about that. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's also difficult to test on, I would imagine. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You know, how, how, do, you, how do you test on the question of what is patriotism? Um, there, there's no easy, simple answer. Is it love of country? Well, what do you, what's it mean to love? What's the country? You know, there, it gets complicated so quickly. Um and yet, if we're thinking about becoming effective citizens, these are the things that we we have to take up.
2: The other thing that plays into that is this idea of standards and you know, schools we we hear a lot about the increased focus on standardized tests to meet standards, whether state or or, or national or what have you. I'm curious how that plays into this. you know how do you, as a teacher make time for this deliberative dialogue form of education when you also have to get students ready to take these, these standardized assessments.
3: Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different in social studies compared to other subject areas because social studies isn't tested um, nearly to the degree that, say, math and in, in English or language arts are. Um, but for standards, I, I think standards are important. I think standardizing is when, when we really get into trouble. Was, uh, does every student have to think the same way or ha- have to have the same content? Um with my teacher education students, we look at standards, um, be they the district standards in the schools that, that they're in, um, state level standards or, or even national ones. And we start to think about, well, what are your purposes in teaching? what do you want to do here? And then how can these standards help facilitate you you doing this? So if you want to bring controversial issues into the classroom, let's look at the standards. okay, here, here this is talking about the importance of critical thinking. How can we leverage that towards, your purpose. There's a lot of developing of philosophy, at least in my thinking of of teachers, that a a textbook is not going to tell you this is what you need to do. You need to come in thinking about it and then utilize the standards to help you.
2: That sounds so scary if you're like a a first-year teacher trying to figure out all this. And I think, too, some teachers are moving into communities that they've never lived in before if they take a job that's different from where they went to school or in a different place.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So you have to come in inquiring, asking questions. And I think you have to come in willing to um, fight against a number of cultural myths about teaching, Um, that the teacher knows everything. The teacher is an expert. Uh, I think that's really problematic. If you know everything, where's the inquiry? What's happening? how does that position your students? Um, so, yeah, it, coming in with uh, some ability to, to make mistakes and, and say that's going to happen, um, but then engaging your students in the inquiry and what are their inquiries and, yeah.
2: and And also... Um, the other thing that is is maybe a stereotype, tell me if it is, but I'm having this vision of like an angry parent. You know, if you talk about Charlottesville or if you talk about what's happening in, in Washington or any other politically charged topic that, you know, a, a teacher might have, a, a parent beating down their classroom door or sending them angry emails, or is is that something that you kind of prepare your students to, to handle as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Uh... We say, first, you need to understand what, what the parent is saying. You know, listen, listen to the, the parent. Um, but even before you get to that point when you're planning lessons, when, when you're teaching, thinking through your rationale and, and having an, a, a, a real reason. Well, so why am I going to take up current controversial issues? You have to have a, a well because uh, in, in order to engage in in our society, we need to be able to think through the problems. We need to be able to talk about it. You know, building a justification that then can be put into dialogue with a, a parent or whomever coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's deliberative. It's slow. It, it's there. There's no easy answer. But I think that's that's the beauty of the process. That in that process, there uh, much comes out of it. Um, and there's a lot of writing along the way and, and conversing and reading about what other people are saying.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, going back to Parkland, have you seen in your students um, any change in their, their attitudes or kind of their enthusiasm for taking up some of these more civic-minded topics uh, in, in the months since the, the shooting happened last February?
3: Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll see this this coming semester. I'll, I'll see. I think direct responses. Um, I think the civic action of the Parkland students, and it's been so visible. And not just the Parkland students, but but partic- particularly them. I think that's powerful, and I think you know my students and many others will have that in mind. Um, but I, I think too the you know my my students are. have have some element of fear what what does it mean to be in a school and 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 go on lockdown right um so there's kind of like a just a basic survival but then what does it mean to teach about that to address it what what about the next day when you've gone on lockdown it it was just a scare that you know nothing serious amounted What, what do you then do with that um I think those are good questions to have, and I don't think, as a teacher educator, I don't have a prescription for that other than to say, inquire into the tension, the, the worry, the, the concern.
2: So in this, this time when we do have such an a increase focused on, on STEM education, there's less time being devoted to topics like social studies. Mm-hmm. So, um, how does that impact these citizenship or, or civics-based um, conversations?
3: I think there's a huge impact. It, it, it forces the the learning conversations in a school into either marginal spaces or it forces it to come out in in other in other settings. So you're in you're in language arts and you're reading a story about immigration, and here's an opportunity. For it to emer- it's gonna emerge, it's going to emerge. Like, kids are thinking about this. It's, you know, it's in the news. Their parents are taking it up. It's there. But there, there isn't the, the formal place to take up questions about, about immigration, um, at least fr- from, like, a social studies perspective. That's really troubling, right? If you think about the foundation of schooling, the purposes of, of education um, in, in the United States, it's, it's to help people live in community. It's it's to to learn to be a citizen of the country. Um, if we're not formally taking that up, then we're leaving much to the null curriculum that I, that I talked about, um, or to to television and to you know internet surfing and um, random experiences on the street.
2: Yeah, and then you have. Students coming in with, yeah, something that they read on the Internet somewhere that may or may not be true and spreading that to their classmates. And that's something else that that a, a teacher may have to kind of grapple with, right? If a student comes in with a conspiracy theory or something that they've read, what what does that look like?
3: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, my hope is that a teacher is thinking about it and, OK, am, am I going to take this up? How am I going to take it up? Or are we going to actually look at some source that that's tied to this? Um, are we going to have a debate around it, or the teacher says, "Okay, th- this is something that's going to take us off course"? Um, I mean, that we we could spend a, a whole lot of time talking about how teachers are thinking professionals, but they're often scrutinized as the people who just pass out, the, you know, the the dittos. Um, yeah, a, a teacher has to think through what am I doing here? What do my students need? And and then process that. But it can't just be left pushed to the side, you know, oh, we'll just let them take that to the playground. Right. We've got to, we've got to put it on the table and, and wade into the struggle.
2: Well hopefully our, our listeners around the country and, and around the world will hear that. and if they are teachers or, or parents will maybe try to encourage some of those dialogues in their, their students' classrooms. Yeah,
0: hopefully. Um,
2: so we're gonna close here with our mood of the Nation poll questions. Um, so thinking specifically about American politics. There are four things I'm going to ask you about. Okay. Um, so what makes you proud?
3: Uh, people having hard conversations. And
2: then uh, what makes you angry?
3: Um, I mean, I could say people not having hard conversations, uh, people not listening to each other. Right?
2: Uh, and uh, what makes you worry?
3: Um, so many things. Um, what makes me worried? Um, not not um, finding common values, or you know, w- working together to to come to some common purpose. Right?
2: And then, and then, finally, what gives you hope?
3: Um, that we we can talk, we we have talked, we will talk, we um, we will keep moving forward. That's that's what we do.
2: Great. All right. Well, thank you again, Mark, for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Okay. Well, we're back. That was that was really quite interesting. I'll tell you one thing. It had me thinking about. Uh, was my own experiences with my students who, you know, I'll I'll ask every semester at some point or another about their own voting behavior and why aren't they voting and why, why do they think maybe some of their friends aren't voting. And often the response that you'll get mm-hmm. has something to do with the idea that, oh, it's all too complicated. It's too confusing. I don't understand the issues well enough right. to get out there. Now, I, I have my own objections to that sort of uh, that sort of concern <laughs> because high. I don't think that one needs to be uh, an expert on all issues right. in order to be able to uh, in order to be able to vote. But clearly, they in their own minds mm-hmm. have many of them anyway mm-hmm. have the sense of of it being very complicated and feeling unprepared and unqualified to get in there. Um, and, and some of what I heard about, you know, Mark's really pretty cool teaching, I think, uh-huh. and with his pre-service teachers is to try to ground
0: students politically in their own community and their own experiences and in in so doing you just engage them right. at a level and at a, and a, at a topic with with regards to topics that they already have some familiarity right. It's not,
1: with right i was struck by, by a phrase mark had about what it means to be a participatory citizen mm-hmm. and yeah that that could be that could be demonstrated just by what's going on around you
0: right I and, mean, and and once that sticks with you that's ideally yeah. yeah that's right and and you know i mean i um you know, I, I think that has um, you know some real um, potential, and de- depending on the the issue, I also think that you know the more you know controversial it is, the more threatening and the more um, complicated and the more. Um, you know principals and school boards won't want you to do address it right i mean um, uh, mark talked about this uh, no curriculum which is you know you teach by not teaching that you you know you're not if you avoid these things you are um, sh- Showing students by your in, in your lack of engagement that you know politics is ugly and it's um, complicated and it's just going to end in uh, um, bad feelings and argument and so let's just leave it alone.
1: Right, and and you know I mean I could be. I- In my own work, I've spent some time with pre-service science teachers Mm -hmm. talking about how they approach the teaching of evolution Mm -hmm. in in, in their biology class. Some
0: people, it's very controversial. It it is. And so it's similar
1: in that kind of way. It's like, how does a young teacher, I'm going to focus on sort of young Mm teacher. how does a young teacher uh, deal with these kinds of controversial topics in class, especially if they feel that they may not have sufficient knowledge to really feel confident sure. in, in taking it on with somebody who is, you know, whether it be a principal or a student or a teacher or a parent or a parent, yeah, of <laughs> yeah. course, that's what I meant to say, yeah. who is who is opposed to them and that's, you know, it's a stressful situation and it may be easier, it is easier just not to do anything. Now I know in, you know, in the case of like evolution and creationism when they don't say anything about evolution, they are doing a bad job teaching. Of biology. course. Be, because you can't just you can't teach it without right. focusing right. on it at least not teach it properly right. and and so this idea of the null curriculum with one's civic in, involvement
0: too is a, it, it's similar to me yeah, by just, not teaching it you're, you're saying something right you, and you can't yeah. you can't not not say something right everything you do everything every way you teach is going to convey some information and so the idea of setting up a safe place for argument for um dialogue for well this is where i come down and this is why is is, abso- is just as important, if not more important, for for mm-hmm. setting the stage for future for someone to become to learn to be a democratic citizen. Right, and it seems like, you know, if I
1: if I, maybe reading too much into some of what Mark was saying, but that. Uh, you know the, there are standards out there on how you're supposed to teach civic education but mm-hmm. there's standards that are often not backed up by any kind of rigorous assessment right. any kind of test uh, and they Not vary, always a case but yeah but in many cases mm-hmm. and they vary widely across school districts on right. on on how they're used and they and the fact that it's not going to be assessed means that from a school district perspective or from a principal's perspective uh, we could kind of spend some of this time on subjects that will be tested, right. science and math, whatever, because our funding requires – it was reliant on it, federal funding. There's all kinds of funds tied well, in and I don't to know. their performance on these exams. Uh, and that seems like just moving in exactly the opposite direction that we need, which is – to be focusing on this. Well, right now.
0: Yeah, I mean obviously these stem issues did not come out of the sky and 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 so yeah you know, there's a reason why we're focusing on on them. There's also, you know, these these the the curriculum is not as controversial so it's easier to say you know here are here's what you need to know about math right and he and and so and then as i when i was a parent we got reports from the district on how we performed how our students performed in third eighth and whatever grade and so all that is um pushing School boards, principals, and teachers to focus on these things that are going to be measured and they're going to be reported. And since civics doesn't often enter into those kind of categories, it's just an easy thing to push to the side. But what we have, see with these with the students from Parkland, Park, Parkland is just how essential. Um, how indispensable literally these um opportunities for skill development for lang- uh, for knowledge development and for um learning you know tolerance um um respect uh patriotism and the ability to speak and argue right, and
1: right yeah mm-hmm. yeah all the skills had all the skills that go into it
0: so so uh, so th- what i'm feeling is like you know. School board people, principals, you need to understand (laughs) that this is an essential part of your jobs and you need to let teachers have this kind of uh, freedom to achieve these ends because our democracy depends on it.
1: In some ways, I'm heartened by what Mark is talking about because he seems really incredibly
0: skilled at this. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I'm kind of discouraged by it because I don't know how many Marks are out there. Well, and how many – I guess what I would be discouraged by is how many parents, uh, principals, and school board members are – Um, giving them the latitude to achieve those kinds of things. So when
1: Jenna comes out from behind the desk and comes and sits with us, it
0: means she wants us to stop. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. You don't, you you (laughs) pick up on everything. Well, you're a full professor, so that kind of goes in this territory. All right. So we will bring this in for a landing. Um, I, Thank you to Jenna and to Mark for their time. Um, Really interesting stuff. I know it's going to be things that we come back to again. Absolutely. Uh, From the McCourtney Institute for Democracy, this has been
1: Democracy Works. Uh, Please, uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you have any comments, thoughts, ideas for future podcasts, don't hesitate to let us know.
0: Sounds good. I'm Chris Beam. I'm Michael Berkman. Thank you. Thanks.